Great. Thank you, Claire. Good to see everybody. Happy New Year to all of you. And uh, not least if you are new, thank you for starting this New Year with us. My name is Philip and uh, along with Paul, I'm one of the pastors here as well. And um, I guess when you start a new year, you always look forward into what the year has, but you also kind of reflect on maybe the year that, that has just gone in 2016 in our case. And if I look back on 2016 for us as a church, I feel like it was kind of bookended by two quite big highlights. And the second last highlight, the one that we, at the end of the year, was of course our carol service, which was the last time which we met together, which I thought was just a wonderful, wonderful time. If you were here with us, I hope you agree. It was just a superb carol service, so enjoyable. It's great to have 210 adults and kids with us uh, celebrating Christ at Christmas and singing carols and lots of our friends and colleagues and guests are with us. It was a really, really good time. And if you were with us, it probably would have escaped your notice that a lot of time and effort and skill went into putting on a service like that. So I'd love us to thank the various people who would be the choir, the band, the AV team, the decorations team, the welcome team, the cafe team, the kids team, those who hosted, those who prayed during the service, all of which was held together and masterminded by the wonderful Carly Best. So can we show our applause and thanks to those people? It was a really, really good time. If that was the highlight that kind of ended the year, at least um, from my perspective, one of the highlights that began the year was the week of prayer and fasting that we had uh, last January. And we did it again in September. And it was such a good week that we're going to do it twice a year, January and September. This year, I've just put it back a little week, back by a week. So we can have a bit more time to lead up to it, to actually think about it, consider it, and work out for yourself how you wish to engage with it. So this is how the week looks. You can see behind me how we're going to kind of structure the week and the various things that we'll be praying into via the daily podcast that you can receive if you're on our email list. And as Claire mentioned, I would love us to particularly prioritize that Tuesday evening to gather together, pray in the city, to pray for us as a church, to pray for our city, to pray that our church might help renew and reshape and bless our city. So please, if at all possible, can you prioritize that evening together, 7.45 for an 8 o'clock start. And it really is, I'm saying all of us, because I really do believe that this week of prayer and fasting is for all of us. It is for each one of us. It's not just for some people, some types of Christians. I really believe this is for all of us, whether you been a Christian for many, many years, or whether you are uh, exploring the Christian faith perhaps, or whether you find prayer really, really b- wonderful, you love praying, or whether you find prayer pretty hard, as let's be honest, most people do, this is for all of us, this week's for all of us to engage in in different ways so that we can all take steps forward in our love for God and our understanding of God, and that we might see him do uh, wonderful things in different aspects of our lives and our church. And to help all of us Uh, take part in this week and to take steps forwards. And we're going to spend three weeks in a little mini-series called Prayer in the City which is based on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Just the first two chapters of Nehemiah we're going to be in for these next three Sundays. So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah, if you're new to the Bible, it's about a third of the way through, and we're going to be in chapter one this morning, chapter two next week, and the week after that. Now, a bit of historical context so we know what we're landing in when it comes to opening up Nehemiah, what's going on and when is it and so forth. We're in 445 BC and the nation of Israel, having had maybe its kind of heyday in 1000 BC, by 445 BC is in a lot of trouble. 
It's been divided by civil war. It has been uh, conquered by foreign powers. Its people have been enslaved and exiled. And one of those exiled people is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is about 800 miles away from home. He's found himself working in the royal court of the Persian Empire, which is kind of the key empire of the day. He's working as a very, very senior official in the Persian royal court. And the Persian Empire at this time has allowed a few Jewish people to return to Jerusalem. And that's the context that Nehemiah writes to us from. So if you have your church Bibles, I think it's 398. And we'll just read, uh, we're going to read chapter 1 together. As Nehemiah tells us of his experiences of hearing how Jerusalem's doing. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, which is November or December, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's just stop there. We're going to look at two things this morning, which probably flashed up just beforehand. We're going to look at the motivation behind prayer and the experience of prayer. So to put it a different way, we're going to look at uh, why we're having a week of prayer and fasting from, from Nehemiah's experiences and simply put what we can expect to experience during it. Okay, so the motivation and the experience. First of all, the motivation is why I've just paused after verse five. I want to ask, why is Nehemiah so motivated? Why is he so grieved and brokenhearted and moved? And why is he engaging in something like prayer and fasting? In fact, I might ask a different question, really, which is, why is he not just a little bit indifferent? I think he's got good reason to be a little bit indifferent. Because, let's think about it, he's 800 miles away from home. He is one of the most senior officials in the empire of the day. So he's the cupbearer to the king, which in our language doesn't sound very impressive. But one commentator compared Nehemiah's role to being chief of staff to the president of America. He's got this huge responsibility and huge influence right in the inner circle of the most powerful man of the day, and he's miles from home. Why does he care so much? Why doesn't he just get on with his life? Maybe, yet be upset or frustrated, but why is he so grieved, so brokenhearted? Why does he pray and fast about this thing? Why is he not just a bit indifferent? Well, it's because, in simple terms, Nehemiah understands who God is and he loves who God is. So he has kind of cognitive understanding of who God is and he has a heart of passion for who God is. He knows, Nehemiah knows, that God's got a plan. And God's plan at that time is that the Jewish people and the Jewish city of Jerusalem would be his representatives. And the news that he's hearing is that that plan is in tatters or it seems to be in tatters. And that breaks his heart. God's plan for his glory to be known through both his people and their key city, that seems to be in tatters. And for Nehemiah, that is just heartbreaking. Now in our circumstances, just kind of fast forwarding two and a half thousand years, 
One of the things that should mark a Christian out in simple terms is that we think beyond ourselves. And in this particular circumstance, one of the things that I think should mark a Christian out is that we think about the state of the church today, the people of God that Nehemiah was so moved to consider. And the bare facts are, just looking at the stats, nationally, the UK church is not in a good shape. It's on the decline. Just a couple of statistics for you. Between the year 2000 and 2010, church attendance in the UK went down by 18%. That's 800,000 people in those 10 years who stopped being connected, attending, being members of a local church. 60% of churches now have nobody in them between the ages of 15 and 21, arguably who are the future of the church. Now London... Statistically, it's a bit of an exception to that rule. And Kingston is a borough of London. And in Kingston, you'd expect me to say this as a pastor, I guess, I think we're blessed by having lots of churches, lots of really good churches. In fact, uh, Keith Gateskill, who leads Kingsgate Church, will be here in two weeks' time to conclude this series for us. But the reality is that we have a population in the borough of Kingston of 173,500. And I'm estimating that maybe... Two to 3,000 people in our borough are part of the various churches in our borough. So just simply put, that means that just on our doorstep, only on our doorstep, that means that there are 170,000 people, give or take, who don't know that God loves them, that God has a plan for their lives, that God is actually the source of truth, that he's the source of meaning, he's where purpose is to be found. They don't know as yet that he's where forgiveness is to be found. And you see, we can see, biblically, we can see the city in Nehemiah's time. We can see it not only as the church, the people of God that he's concerned for. We can also see it as the city, the place that he used to live, the place that he comes from. Our city, London, Kingston, we can see it as both theologically. And Kingston is a great place to live. That's why people live here largely or move here. Uh, in 2015, it was, great. it was voted the happiest place in the UK to live. <laughs> I'm reliably informed. But that doesn't tell the whole story, does it? It doesn't tell the whole story. Um, it's, it's a wonderful place to live. The, the city gates are not burnt and broken down like Nehemiah's Jerusalem is. But nonetheless, there are areas of brokenness that the local church can seek to renew to glorify God. There are lots of examples of that. One of the things that marks our borough out particularly is that we have an aging population. And with that aging population is coming increasing loneliness and isolation. That's one of the things that we've been talking about a lot in recent prayer meetings. We've been praying into it. I think really sensing God perhaps stirring us to target some of our energy and resources and, and love in towards blessing and honoring and bringing dignity and friendship and love towards an increasingly elderly and isolated population. In fact, when James Berry, who's our local MP, was with us before Christmas, he, unprompted by me, he mentioned that as the kind of key thing which he, think, which he kind of prioritizes some of his time for. So just as an aside, um, one of the things that we'll be doing in two, 
two weeks' time, on the 5th of February, which is our second week at the Rose Theatre, um, Emma Cornwall is going to gather anybody who's interested at all after the service just to discuss, learn, share ideas about what it might mean for our church to be a blessing to the elderly population of our borough. Emma's a, an OT and has lots of experience of working with the elderly, and I know she'd love anybody at all who's interested to grab a tea or coffee at the wonderful Rose in the cafe after the service, sit down with her and just share ideas, chat, pray as to what would it mean for this local church to bring some sense of renewal to that aspect of brokenness within our city, within Kingston. Emma would love to see you there, 5th of February. So you see, over and above everything else, Nehemiah just loved God. He just loved God. And if you love somebody, then you want them to be loved by others, don't you? That kind of makes sense. He, he wanted the glory of God to be known. And he loved God's people. And he knew that strong walls in Jerusalem, which we can take to mean in our context, strong, vibrant churches, that's good for the people of God. And he also knew a key Old Testament theme. That when the people of God are blessed, other people groups, nations, cities are blessed also. So, questions for us as we start 2017. If you're a Christian this morning, do you live with, do I live with any sense of concern for the church broadly, for the national church, for the churches of our borough? Are you grieved at all? for the brokenness that we do see. Like Kingston, London, for all of its vibrancy and creativity and beauty, does have pockets of, enormous pockets of brokenness and pain. Does that concern you at all? Or, like me occasionally, do you occasionally feel a bit indifferent sometimes? Does indifference also uh, pop up when we talk about some of these things? I remember um, a few years ago, I went on holiday with my grandfather. We went on holiday to Cuba on a fishing holiday. Uh, at least he fished, and I was there as like a sort of chaperone, come tourist, come sunbather, basically. Um, and we had a wonderful time, really special holiday. And on the way home, we came from Cuba via Madrid to catch a connection flight. And we were moving th- walking through the airport to catch our connection flight, talking about what wonderful holiday it was. And we approached our the departure lounge and the check-in desk. And then my grandfather started to do this. And then muttered the immortal words, I've lost my passport. Which is never the words you want to hear anybody mutter, let alone an elderly grandfather at Madrid Airport. So I you know, sort of looking around in bags and in cases and in pockets and in fishing tackle and like, no passport to be found. I then retraced our steps through Madrid Airport thinking maybe I'll find it on the floor or something. Has anyone handed it in? Nothing comes. I come back to the departure lounge, still no passports. By this time, people are starting to board the, you know, board the flights. Speaking to the airport staff, are very helpful, but nothing they can really do. I'm thinking, oh man, we're going to be stuck in Madrid for who knows how long trying to sort a new passport out. And also, my grandfather was 83 at the time and he's pretty healthy and fit, but He'd been fishing, like standing up in blazing sun for 10 days. He hadn't slept on the plane. He was exhausted. He just wanted to get home, and I wanted to get him home. And then suddenly, <laughs> this kind of Tigger-type person just bounded up to us, clutching this passport. I said, is this yours? And I, I looked in it, and sure enough, there's my grandfather's passport. And apparently this guy had found it outside a restaurant on the way through the airport and had been determined to try and reunite this passport with its owner. Amazing. And he'd gone through departure lounge after departure lounge after departure lounge, trying to find, I suppose, an elderly bloke who vaguely resembled my grandfather until he found us. 
I remember saying to him, mate, you are a hero. Thank you so much. And I was so grateful, obviously. And I was also quite moved because it kind of struck, struck me thinking about it. He had every reason to be a bit indifferent towards us. He didn't know us at all. He wasn't even from the same nation. There was no patriotic fervor that was driving what he was doing. He didn't know that my grandfather was exhausted and needed to get home. He could have just ignored the passport. He could have picked it up and just handed it in. I mean, that would have been reasonable, wouldn't it? I think we'd all say. But he chose to do something. He chose to go towards the problem and engage with it. And his total lack of indifference towards us transformed our circumstances. What's my point? When it comes to doing something, not least through prayer and fasting about the church, about other people, about my city. I'm not always like the guy with the passport. I'm not always like Nehemiah. I I experience indifference rather than driving motivation that these two men seem to experience. I let busyness and comfort, which strike me as being probably the two principal challenges of South West London life. I let busyness and comfort and food dull my appetite for the thing, and loads of other things, I let, it, I let them dull my appetite for the thing that matters most, which is surely the glory of God being known in your life, your church's life, and your community's life. So what do I do? <laughs> what do you do if you ever experience that kind of indifference, particularly when it comes to praying for these things? Shrug our shoulders, say, oh well, God's in control. Or maybe you're more likely to go to the other end of the spectrum and say, oh gosh, I feel a bit guilty now. I I guess I should do something, do some praying, maybe do some fasting that might persuade or even impress God and might make me feel a bit better as well. See, 500 years after Nehemiah, somebody else was also greatly moved by the state of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 tells us that a week before his crucifixion, Jesus Christ looked out across the same city of Jerusalem and wept. And he wept because he knew that many would reject him. But he didn't just weep out of sorrow. He also wept for Jerusalem out of passion, out of a total lack of indifference. He wept because he could not be indifferent about the glory of God. He could not be indifferent about the people of Jerusalem. And he could not be indifferent about the people of Kingston and London in 2016. Jesus Christ wept out of a total lack of indifference, out of enormous passion. If you ever feel indifference, as I have to confess, I occasionally often do when it comes to prayer, when it comes to fasting, when it comes to other people, the church, the city, The answer, as it is with, I believe, everything, is to go to the gospel. You go to Jesus. In fact, go to Luke 19, verse 41. And let his love for you melt any indifference you feel. Let Jesus' total lack of indifference for people and cities and churches, that, I promise you, that will melt any indifference that you feel. That's the answer. The gospel is always the answer. Listen, Nehemiah Love these people enough to eventually leave the royal court behind. Jesus Christ loved all people so much, he left the splendor of heaven behind. Nehemiah wept and he risked his life for Jerusalem. Jesus wept and he gave his life for Jerusalem and all people. 
It's the gospel that melts our hearts. It's Jesus' lack of indifference that helps us to begin to find motivation, to find all that we need to engage in things like prayer and fasting for ourselves, our families, our churches, and our cities. It's always Jesus, the one who loves the glory of God more than we do, the one who loves us, the one who loves all peoples and all cities. So that's the motivation for engaging in something like prayer and fasting. What can we expect to experience during it? And in a second, I'll carry on reading the rest of the chapter and we'll see what Nehemiah experienced during prayer and fasting. Because I think the prayer that he prays is at the end of his experiences. So we can see what, he, what happened to him. But before we see what happened to Nehemiah, I'd love to invite Nandi and Ebiera Bolu up to join me. And Andy and Eviera are known to many of us. They're members here at the church. And uh, they've been a bit of inspiration to me, whether they know it or not, for many reasons. And I wanted to ask them just to share something of their experiences of prayer and fasting, particularly in the church last year. And then I'll uh, look at Nehemiah's experiences as well. Okay, thanks, Philip. Um, Abira and I both pray and fast um, regularly, although we have different routines uh, for fasting. I'll talk about my experience first and pass over to her. <clears throat> I do pray regularly, um, but I find adding fasting to my prayer adds a different dimension to it. Um, I get obviously, spiritual benefits and physical benefits, obviously, alongside um, answered prayers. Um, in terms of my fasting routine, I usually do skip a couple of meals or go for several days. But before I actually fast, I always try and hear from God as to how long to fast, um, which is very important. Now, in terms of the spiritual benefits, um, I think the first for me is I just feel closer to God. There's, there's a closeness I feel when I'm fasting. And you know, experiences of my daily devotional prayer or just, or just thinking about him or worshiping. And I feel less distracted. I'm, very, I'm, I usually, I'm usually very busy at work, and, but I feel less distracted during the time of prayer and fasting. I find that very helpful. I think secondly, I usually take prayer and fasting as a time to grow in my spiritual life. And I always feel a sense of increased faith. So when I'm praying, I just feel there's an increase, there's a, there's a sense of this is going to happen. There's that increase in faith. And I tend to, that tends to build on each fast I do. So it's a time for growth for me spiritually. Um, thirdly, um, it's also a time I use to clarify key prayer points and my priorities in life. It's because I really sit down and really think about what are the key things I need to be praying for? What am I desperate for? What have I, what have I come to the end of my personal strength in that I need God's help with? And that's when I pray, and I, I pray with a lot of faith when I'm, when I'm fasting. Um, in terms of physical benefits... Um, Honestly, fasting makes you sleep better. I don't know if you've experienced that, but when you fast, you sleep very well. And I really enjoy that. <laughs> um, I'm just going to talk very quickly about two experiences. Um, in January 2016, when we did our first fast in the church, um, I prayed for one of our key prayer points was financial breakthrough. I definitely knew there was no way we could get that breakthrough with our strength. I knew that. I walked out, I planned everything in my head. It wasn't going to happen. So I said, God... You know, I'm going to pray about this, and I believe we're going to do something about it. I prayed for it intensely during the fast, and several weeks after the fast as well. And and this year, God has been very faithful to us in terms of his, he did a breakthrough for us, which both of us didn't even expect. It was incredible. So so that, that was one answered prayer. Um, in September as well, we did our fast as well. 
uh, there's been a decision on my heart that has been, I've been praying for four years. And I said, God, this time I'm not planning again. I'm just going to hand it over to you. And I prayed about it intensely during the fast, after the fast, and sort of early December. You know, God just laid on my heart and exactly what to do. So that was very helpful. And finally, to summarize, um, my personal principle in fasting is, is not, fasting is not a way of getting things from God. Um, rather, for me, it's a way of yielding and just surrendering issues and just say, God, I can't do it. I'm desperate. Fix it. Um, so I would like to encourage you, if you're thinking about fasting, before you fast, pray to God and ask you, you know, ask God, how long should I fast for? What should I fast about? And be pre- prepared to be challenged. That's the reality. God is going to challenge you. So that's me. I'll pass on to a beer now. Okay, thank you. Um, I've had um, very good experiences as well, praying and fasting. I don't fast as long as he does. I skip one meal. So if you're like me, it's fine. But still, I've had significant um, changes and hearing from God. I remember one time when I decided to pray and fast, that was when God really revealed to me that my walk with him was not really for him and I'd been seeking him for what I wanted to achieve. I'd never known that. I'd never considered that. And it was during this experience that through listening to a sermon, I felt him directly speaking to me saying, lay down this dream that you want so much. Because that's why I was going to him. It wasn't re- I didn't realize I wasn't going to him for him. But every time I prayed to him, it was about that dream. And he was saying something to me like, like how we asked Abraham to lay down his son Isaac that was the same thing he was saying to me, lay it down and seek me for me. And just like and Vicky mentioned, which was really moving for me, because that year I felt like he kept reminding me about seek him first and everything else to be added on to him. So that was a dramatic experience for me with my first time ever praying and fasting. I've also had very frustrated experiences of trying to fast without praying, basically dieting. <laughs> So I said, I'm going to pray and fast, but I don't pray and I'm just fasting. Extremely frustrating. I want to experience what I experienced when I prayed and fasted, but it doesn't happen. I'm so frustrated. And I thought, eventually I realized this is not working. So again, I'll encourage, especially in January, it's tempting to fast and not pray. So if we can remember that for me, taught me that whenever I decide to embark on this, I will it, the times I spend planning a meal, the times I would spend eating the meal, meal will be spent praying, focusing, thinking um, about why I'm doing this, thinking about God, looking to him, and honestly expecting to hear from him. Because he's always speaking to us. We hear him clearer, I think, when our minds are focused on him and we're, when we're not distracted by everything else. So again, I'll just add my encouragement that we should do this together. It's easier when we are supporting each other. Remember, fast and pray. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Namdi Aviro. So encouraging. And um, what I want to do now is just really, if you like, compare their experiences to Scripture. Um, scripture is what we're taking to be our authority, but testimonies really help to show us why Scripture is true. And I think you'll see uh, from Nehemiah's experiences that he also um, has a wonderful time prayer and fa- praying and fasting. I'm, I'm speculating, I think with reasonable evidence from verses 4 and 5, that this prayer that he prays in verse 5 to 11 seems to be at the end of his time. 
And therefore, I think we can, we can glean from this prayer, we can see what he's experienced from the time of prayer and fasting that he's been, uh, he's been going through. By the way, if fasting gives you questions, because it is a bit of an odd thing in our culture, we know about it in terms of dieting or maybe that uh, other faiths might do it, but if it gives you questions, we've produced a handout which will get in hard copy next Sunday, and you can look on the website all through this week in the, under the blog section, and it'll come through in the email as well. That, that answers, I think, lots of frequently asked questions about the practicalities and the whys and the wherefores of it. I hope it's helpful to you. Right, let me just look very quickly as we close with just these four, I think there are four things that we can see that Nehemiah has experienced from his time of prayer and fasting from these remaining verses. Here we go. Number one, verse five. So after he's wept, mourned, prayed and fasted, he says this in his prayer. I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What's Nehemiah experienced clearly? He's had the experience of being brought to a place of praise and worship. He's seen something of the awesomeness of God. He's seen something of the majesty of God. And it means that he concludes his time of prayer and fasting by saying, God of heaven, you are awesome. You are majestic. That's one of the wonderful experiences that you can expect to have when you engage in this. You will see something of the magnificence of God. And we have our gaze lifted, our perspective lifted, and we're brought to a place of worship and praise. Experience number two that Nehemiah has, verses six and seven, he continues saying, he's praying to God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants. Here's the key bit. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statute and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. What has clearly happened to Nehemiah during his prayer and fasting? What's he experienced? He's experienced the reality of being aware of his sin and coming to repentance. That's one of the good things about prayer and fasting. Painful, but it's one of the good things that it seems to prayer and fasting brings to the surface things that are not in line with God's best for us and things that don't glorify him. Ebiera sort of hinted it, alluded to that experience of things being brought to the surface, which brought her to repentance and sanctification. That's why repentance is good. It's painful, but it's good because it brings us to a place of becoming a bit more like Jesus. You can expect to experience these things, just like Nehemiah, just like Namdi and Ebiere, when you engage in this. Number three, verses eight to ten. He now starts to talk to God again, and then he quotes God. So Nehemiah says, remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, and Nehemiah now quotes God, quotes earlier scripture, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Experience number three of prayer and fasting, Nehemiah has been reminded of the promises of God. He's been reminded of who God is, of what God has said about himself, not of who he wants God to be, but of who God actually is, of who God, what God, how God refers to himself. And can you see the confidence that comes through? Because he can then say, God, you said, you said uh, to Moses all those years ago, that we're your people, and then if we turn from our indifference towards you, you would rescue us, and you'd redeem us, and you establish us. So come on, God, you've got to do this now. 
Now, prayer and fasting gives you that kind of confidence because you, you know that you've met with God and you know you've, you've met with who he is. And so you can pray back to him what he has said about himself, not timidly, but boldly, aggressively even, just like Nehemiah does. Fourth experience Nehemiah has is the last part of the passage. Verse 11. He finishes by saying, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So he's, he's the servant he's referring to. The man is the king. And what he's going to do is go into the court of the king and say, can I go back to my city and start to repair it? So what's the fourth experience he's had? Very similar to Namdi. He's had the experience of gaining clarity and faith and boldness for a decision. And he can make it in faith and he can make it with boldness and he can make it with clarity because he's received wisdom from God and faith to take a risk to go and bless his city. And I think Namdi alluded to having similar experiences. He had the faith and the wisdom to say, this is what we're going to do. God, come with me. God gives us the dignity of using our minds to make decisions. So he's probably not going to write on the wall what we do. Do that once in Scripture as far as I can make out. I don't expect it to happen again. He gives us the dignity of making decisions. But his plan is that we come to him to gain faith and wisdom and clarity for it so we can then take steps of faith to lead our family, to bless our community, to bless our church, and so on and so forth. So whichever way you engage in something like prayer and fasting, you can expect to experience these things praise and worship, encountering God for who he is, as Nehemiah does at the beginning. Repentance, being brought to a place where we realize the areas in our life that are not in line with God's best for us. Knowing the promises of God and praying them back to him with passion. And finally, knowing the faith and the wisdom to take actions, to make decisions, and also to receive answers for prayer, as Namdi alluded to, and as Nehemiah experienced, as Paul will open up for us next week. Nehemiah got answers to his prayer after his time of prayer and fasting. So, how are we going to respond in these, the time we have? One of the band come and join me. We've got good time to worship, which is the way we do things on a Sunday when the kids are with us. We've got good time again to come back into worship. And I would love us to respond, I think, in a couple of particular ways. One is to worship. To worship Jesus Christ for his total lack of indifference towards us. Worship him for his total love and commitment that he's demonstrated towards us and every person and city on earth. And as we worship, it might be that God begins to stir things on our heart as he was doing before. And you can come and bring those through the microphone. And Paul will lead us in communion as an additional way of worshiping and remembering Christ. That's a big part of what we're going to do now. Because nothing in prayer and fasting is going to impress God anymore. Jesus has done that and we're going to worship him for it. And also I'd love you to consider what does it look like for you to engage in this week. I've deliberately set it back a week. So you've got a week, not just today, you've got a week to consider, to pray, to ponder, to ask questions, to share ideas within the community. The, The image of the week will appear again behind me here. And you can think, when is a good time for you to prioritize prayer? Where? What does it look like in the workplace or at home when you've got a few precious moments when the kids are down for sleep? What does it mean to prioritize the when, the where, and the with who? Who do you enjoy praying with? I love praying with people. I find praying on my own the hardest type of praying. Others of you might be different. And what might fasting look like for you? 
Yes, it is an odd thing for our culture, bar dieting. Jesus commanded us to do it because he knew it has a special way of drawing us closer to him in relationship. Not to make him love us anymore. He's clearly shown that on the cross. But it does draw us to him in the results of the cross, which is a relationship with him. What would fasting look like for you? Maybe the first time. Or maybe in a deeper way from previous times. I think as Nandi Nevieri experienced, and as Nehemiah experienced, and as I, and many others have experienced, you won't regret it. You'll meet God in some wonderful ways. And I believe you, your family, this church, and our community could look different as a result. I stand and we're going to worship and respond together. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that first and foremost, uh, the only reason we can even consider engaging in something like this is because of your total lack of indifference towards us. You, you wept over Jerusalem. You wept over mankind. Such was your desire to bring us to God. And we thank you for it. We worship you for it. And we ask you to speak to us individually in these moments, to speak to us corporately in these moments, that we might know your heart and your plans and your purposes for our lives, for this church, that you might do good things in the life of this church in these next two, three weeks, that you might lead us on as we sang beforehand, and that our church might be a force for the renewal and the blessing of our city. We pray these things in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.